picture with me a radio station that plays Christmas songs on November 1st. Right? Like, just think about it. A radio station that, that plays Christmas songs on November 1st. I like it. I love it. It's like my favorite time of year. Like, I remember when they started playing Christmas songs, and, and I'd listen, and I'm like, oh, this is so wonderful. I've been known to listen to Christmas songs rather, rather early. I mean, I might listen to a song or two in October. Occasionally, September. I mean, I might even justify Christmas in July and listen to one back. I mean, I just love Christmas songs because it seems to me this time of year from November through January, it's the, it's the time of year that we can really talk about Jesus everywhere in America. It, it's, it's, there, there's no holds barred. We're, we're allowed to talk or debate or, hey, is that a red cup? Or, you know, what are the decorations? You know, we can talk about Jesus freely. At Christmas time. It's like it's expected. But for me, it seems like also from November to January, it's a really busy time of year for me. Like my schedule ramps up. And and granted, I I took vacation last week. I'd actually kind of planned that a few months ago. And it it just, the way it fell. But I was, you know, I was still getting emails and phone calls and text messages. And and as associate pastor, you know, I love to do that kind of thing because for six years, you're my flock. Um, I've been with you and you've been with me. And things come up as dad or as husband or as family member. And things have been, and and it's like, Christmas season, if, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, I could be so busy that I might not make room for Jesus. And for some of you in here this morning, you know exactly how that feels, don't you? Like, you know, like if you get so busy this season, you know exactly what that feels like to not make room for Jesus. Your social calendar starts to, to fill up. And you have this Christmas party to go to and this Christmas party to go to and well there's a holiday party over here because they don't believe in Christmas or whatever and like you've got all these different things going to and, or maybe you've got relatives coming in your house and you're like, no, 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 I want relatives to go away from my house and then you've got these different things going on or, or maybe you're like, oh, how in the world am I going to get to shop this Christmas season? I'm so busy. I've got an idea. I'm going to shop at midnight. That's a great idea. Shop in the middle of the night for hours and hours. By the way, I used to work Black Friday. I was in sales for about eight years, and it's not my favorite time of the year. But like you would shop, and you would call it Black Friday, but really it's still Thursday at 6 p.m., and it just doesn't make sense. And, and you just get so busy, and work beckons, and maybe you get a few days off, or maybe, maybe from November to January, you, you, get, you get, maybe at least get Christmas Day off. And for some of you in the industry that you're in, you don't get any day off. You're like, what am I going to do? I'm just so busy. When we get too busy, we miss out on experiences that shape us. When we get too busy in life, we miss out on those experiences that ultimately could shape us. And so that's when we're too busy to cook, we hire someone else to cook for us. We, we got a, I really wanted a Cajun fried turkey this year. My wife wanted a Cajun fried turkey this year. So we, instead of, we don't know how to do that kind of thing, we, we hired out someone else to do it for us. And some of you are like, dude, I know what you're talking about. I've hired out people to cook for me this time of year because whatever. Maybe we get too busy to decorate, right? 
Like some of you are sitting in here right now and you've been too busy to decorate. Like your life was so busy. Like you left your Christmas tree up all year round. And so, so, so Valentine's Day comes around and you're like, oh, I'm going to decorate this thing in pink. It's going to be great. Pink and red. And then Mardi Gras comes around and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to get the Mardi Gras colors. And then you think, okay, well what kind of, what, how else can I decorate? There's got to be a holiday, surely, in my calendar that I can decorate my tree. And then you just wait for the next year because you're just too, you're too busy. Some of us, we get too busy for church. Statistically speaking, the least attended Sunday of the year is the Sunday after Christmas. And you I don't show up. I'm too busy for church. What really hurts is when we're too busy to listen because we're always go, 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 go. And like a kid, you know, maybe your child is trying to get your attention hey, I really need to talk to you about something, or maybe your friend is trying to get to talk to you about something, or maybe one of your loved ones or co-workers like, hey, do you have a few moments? I really need to talk to you today, and I'm I'm busy today, maybe tomorrow, maybe, and you're too busy to listen, and and maybe some of you sitting in here this morning are like, you're too busy to get help. And, and there's been something going on in your life and maybe there's a deep pain or there's a deep hurt and you've just been too busy to get someone to help you with that. Then you're like, well, I'm just going to wait till the Christmas season comes because I'm going to get a day off or I'm going to get a couple days off or my schedule frees up or whatever. And it never happens. And so you stay with that, you, that pain or that regret or that hurt stays with you this whole season and then Christmas becomes dreary for you. And it's like everything, everyone else's lives are in full color and yours is just gray. Eventually we just get too busy for Jesus. So Corey and I last month, we started thinking last month, we were praying, we're like, God, what does our church, what does our faith family need to hear? By the way, Corey's sick today. He's our connections pastor, but uh, he's the guy that helps you connect in different areas of our church. He's sick today, and so he's out. But Corey and I were looking uh, about a month and a half ago, and we're like, what, God, does our church need to know? Where do we need to be? And we thought, you know, we could come up with a really neat understanding of Christmas and put a spin on it that makes it kind of contemporary. And we, and we thought well, there's, we could do Christmas at the movies or we can do Grinchmas, like what happens when, you know, our attitudes are out of whack for Christmas. And, and the Lord revealed to us that we, we just need to do a traditional Christmas. Like a traditional Christmas, just to slow down. To do a traditional Christmas. So this morning and on the 20th is the, is the next time uh, Corey and I will be speaking. On the 20th, we're going to look at a traditional Christmas. What is it, like what would happen if we, if we just took a small moment to slow down and to make room for Jesus? That's what we're going to look at. And I bet your life is like my life and, and, and what would happen if we just took a moment to slow down and make room for Jesus? We're going to be in Luke, in traditional Christmas passages. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. I mean, you, you, you can't say a traditional Christmas without looking at Luke. Uh, Luke's account is just amazing. And we're going to look at an, how an experience, you know, we could all get that could change our lives forever, but we, we could miss if we don't pay attention. And if you and I don't slow down. As you flip to Luke chapter 1, maybe you have a digital copy in, in, in your phone or on a tablet. Maybe you have a physical copy, by the way. If you do not own a physical copy of the Bible, uh, come talk with me. And this Christmas season, we're going to get you a physical copy to own. 
but if for some reason you forgot one, we'll have the verses on the screens for you today as well. But I want to tell you as you flip to Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at the four parts of an experience. Because this encounter that Zachariah has as the traditional Christmas stories begin in the book of Luke, can really be broken down into four parts to one experience. And it's an experience that he, that he has, and that if he didn't slow down enough to, to seize it, he wouldn't change. And it's the same thing with us. If we don't slow down when we face experiences, there's, there's a possibility we might not change. And so we're going to start here, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It's the first part. We call it the setup. This part of the encounter or the, the, the experience is called the setup. It's, it starts off within the days of King Herod of Judea. In the days, like it's, Luke oftentimes will start a particular section with the words in the days of. It's, it's saying, hey, here's a new part that you need to understand. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Now, these are the things that, this is, when we talk about the setup part of an experience, when we talk about the setup of the story here, this is how the, this is how things, this is the way the things are in life. You see that King Herod, if you've been with, with us for, for a few years, a few years ago, a couple years ago, I think 2013, I preached on King Herod one Christmas. He was dastardly. You, you see in the scripture there that says that he is king of the Jews. He's king of Judea, but he's not He's not Jewish. He was Roman. He was under Roman rule. He was a Roman ruler. And so what King Herod would do is he tried to make anything he could about himself and about Rome and less about God and about Judaism. And so he even had like the Jewish rulers, the last of the Jewish rulers killed so that he could put his own puppets in there or his own, his own faces in there to control. He, he created building projects for himself uh, so that he could make everything in life about him. In fact, he even built a mountain called the Herodian. Built a mountain. Can you imagine having the money and the manpower to build yourself a mountain? Built himself a mountain. This was an oppressive time for these people. They were looking for hope. They were feeling hopeless. They needed something. That's just the way that things were back then in this particular story. You see that there's a guy, a priest of, the, of Abijah's division named Zechariah. Now, I looked. I'm a name guy. I'm a wordsmith. I love names, particularly in words. And so I'm looking up. I'm like, okay, this is Zechariah. I'm sure it means something. I'm sure it means something. And I researched, and I researched, and I researched, and I researched, my, I researched until my, my eyeballs fell out of my head. And then I found that Zechariah. Zechariah's name means remembered of Jehovah, that like God remembers. He was a priest that served twice a year, the way that the Jewish uh, traditions were set up. Uh, each priest, each high priest was, was set up, or each priest was set up to only serve twice a year in the temple of God, and he, and it, for eight days at a time. And his wife's name, and this is of note, is Elizabeth. What's really neat is it says that she was one of the daughters of Aaron. Now, if you've been around the Bible for a little while, or maybe even if you haven't, uh, Aaron was a priestly tribe as well. So another way of putting this is that here it is, you have a priest named Zechariah who literally served in the temple of God where God's presence was twice a year for eight days at a time, a total of 16 days. And then you, you see that he's married to a woman 
who, it's kind of like saying a preacher's daughter who marries a preacher. Like these are like some godly people. This is, just, this is just the way that things are. This is the setup for you this morning. They had a, a healthy grasp of reality. And, and something that you need to know is that a healthy grasp of reality helps prepare room for change. When you have a healthy grasp of who you are, of the reality that you're living in, a healthy grasp of your finances, of your relationships, of where you stand at work, when you have a healthy grasp of all of your reality, then you can begin to understand and know, like, oh, this thing over here, my finances is moving. This is changing. Or this here, my relationship is changing. This, this here at work is changing. Like, when you understand where you are, you can, un- you can see the things that are changing about you a little bit easier. Verse 6. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Verse 7. But they had no children. That's crazy because these were folks, these were the, the prime examples of Old Testament living. These were the folks that entirely, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they lived entirely the way the law said that they should live. The way the law of God says that you should live, they lived to the T. Now, we'll see later on that they, that they were not blameless, but they, they were walking in such a way that they were honoring God. I mean, it was a preacher's daughter who married a preacher. They, they, if anyone, they should have received blessings, don't you think? And we're like that today too, aren't we? We think, well, I go to church, or I read my Bible, or I'm, I'm upright, or I'm, I'm a good person, and, and I should have all these good things for me. And yet, just like them, sometimes we have problems. We, God, that's not fair. God, why do I not have children? Verse 7. And in Old Testament times, they believed like if you didn't have children or if there was a particular problem in your life, usually it was because of a sin that you had committed or were committing. But Luke, the doctor, is quick to point out they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. Both Both of them had seen a lot of life. They'd walked with God. They'd seen God do amazing things. They'd seen pain. They'd seen hurt. They'd seen busyness. They'd seen God triumphant. And yet they had no children. God is in the business of making himself known through the miracles that he provides. I think the reason why they included, why Luke included verse 7 there is because Luke knows that God makes himself known through the miracles that he provides. A question I want to ask you this morning, and, 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 and we'll, we'll continue on, is, is what is the miracle that you've seen recently that you don't know where it came from? Or another way of putting it is, is why won't you let other people know that that miracle that happened in your life was from God? Because there's a lot of times, like maybe you, 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 you're paycheck to paycheck and you're like, I'm not going to make it this month. And then, and then all of a sudden you do. And maybe a check comes through the mail or, or someone takes care of this meal or this meal. Or they give you some groceries or whatnot. Or maybe there's some trouble in your relationship and you're like, oh, I don't know how we're going to pull through this together. I don't know. You know, we're not on the same page. We're not communicating. We don't, you know. And then all of a sudden a breakthrough happens. And it's, sometimes it's like we keep those breakthroughs, those miracles to ourselves. Like, why won't you share what God is doing in your life? 
And this is just the setup. This is just the reality. If you could remember one thing this morning, like one big idea this morning that says that the best tradition of Christmas is to make room for Jesus. The best tradition of Christmas is to make room for Jesus. Like to make room for Jesus in your life, to make time for Jesus in, in, in your schedules, in your Sunday schedules, in your daily schedules, to make room for Jesus in your families, in your conversations, in your finances, like anything that you, to make room for Jesus. And we're going to see how Zechariah does that in just a moment. But I want to ask you a couple more questions. I'm going to leave you with a lot of questions today because I feel like this experience that Zechariah has is a similar experience that we have and that God wants to do something through us, but we just have to be aware of things. So the questions I want to ask you, you can write these down if you're taking notes, is what's your setup? Like, who are you? What's going on in your life? Like, realistically, maybe today, since we're not doing service tonight, maybe today, take an honest assessment of, of your emotions, of your thought patterns, of who you're getting along with, who you're not getting along with. Make honest assessments of your finances, of your relationship to your spouse, or to your friends, or to your coworkers, to your, to your kids, to your ants. Like, take an honest assessment of where you are. Because when you take an honest assessment of where you are, even write those down, then it's going to become easier for you to see God moving in those. Like, oh wow, this is changing. If you keep prayer journals, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because a lot of people who keep prayer journals, they see where God has answered something. And so if the first part is the setup, the way things are, the second part is the event. There's an event that, this is the way things are, but here's an event that happens. Luke tells us in verse 8, he starts out, he says, when his division was on duty. Like, it's another time marker. It's another segue of the experience. So there was a setup, and here's the event. And I'll let you know before we get into the rest of this, that inevitable disturbances happen. Like, disturbances are going to happen. Obstructions, and here's why, is because obstructions force change in our lives. When, some, when we're faced with an obstruction, we're forced to either go left or go right or go over or go under. Like we're forced to change when something drops into our left. For example, when disaster strikes, you've got to change. Am I right? Mary and I watched a disaster movie recently. Uh, back in the 90s, it seemed like disaster movies were all the rage back then. There was Independence Day and the aliens come in and whatever. You know, and there was deep impact and the meteor was going was gonna to hit the earth and destroy it all. And you have, you have the day after tomorrow and the earth was going to freeze. It just had all these different, all these different uh, disaster movies. And Earthquake, for those of you that, that saw it back in the 70s, Earthquake was a big one. I loved that movie. Disaster movies. So we were watching one, and, and something that's true of almost every disaster movie that's successful is that the, 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 the main character in the movie or story, like they have to adapt to change pretty quick. Like, oh, my helicopter crashed. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to go find a boat. And now my boat's going to take me to wherever I need to go because a helicopter won't. Like, it, it, oh, wow, all of a sudden this thing, this building fell over. Well, now I just need to find another way into it. And it's, disaster movies are like that. After Katrina, a lot of you, a lot of you had to adapt, right? My, my friend Brett and I, we, um, 
He was my privileged friend. He, we were staying at his townhouse in Hattiesburg. And of course, I comes up through Hattiesburg as well. And he's like, okay, it's time to go. I'm like, all right, where are we going to go? He's like, well, we're going to go to my parents' villa in Ellisville. I'm like, that sounds really cool. I don't know what a villa is. So we get in his BMW and like we're starting to drive. Just kidding. No, it was. And so anyway, so we're starting to drive. And it's, it's, you know, it's that misty rain a little bit. And all the roads are closed. And... And there was trees down even over the back roads. And so for the first couple of roadblocks that we were at, we just kind of sat in his car. I'm like, we're going to go out there? And he's like, no, it's raining. I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, I'm not strong anyway, because what can I do? You know, there's huge trees and there's men, manly men. I'm telling you, manly men with chainsaws. Like, I, I felt, I'm like, wow, I wish I could be like that. And they were grunting and they were sweating. And it was just like manly men. I'm like, ah, let's just stay in your car. So anyway, after a couple of trees, though, uh, we get down the road about, about uh, you know, about five minutes, about a quarter of a mile, and, and there's like another tree. And so eventually, though, we're faced with the same decision. There's an obstruction in the way. We can either sit in our car and do nothing. Well, that's doing something. No, it's not. Or you can get out and you can do something about it. And so we did. We got out and we started to help out a little bit. Obstructions force change in our lives. When a disturbance happens, you will, you will have to choose left or right. And you'll never be the same. So it is this event, something always will get in the way. Something will be dropped into our lap and we'll never be the same after it. Never. It happens with Christmas traditions, right? For example, like with, with our finances. Maybe one Christmas, all of a sudden, your finances just go kaput. And you're like, oh, we just don't have any money this year. Things are going to have to change. There's a death in your family. Which, which it seems like a lot of us have had death in the families in the last couple of years. And traditions are going to have to change. Maybe one year, like maybe this year, your, your kid or your, your grandparent or someone called you up and said, hey, I want to host Christmas this year. And all of a sudden the face that you made on the other end of the phone was, we've never done it like that. That's always been in my house. I mean, like traditions are so easy to like, get into. But what if we stop and pause for a moment and make room for Jesus instead? One of the craziest traditions that has cha- that changed this year. Uh, I don't know if you like Black Friday shopping. I don't know if you like doorbusters. But this year, they put doorbusters online. And I'm almost certain that it made like the people who love to shop like boggle their minds thinking, what am I going to do? Do I go to the store? Do I shop online? Do I sit in my pajamas and eat, you know, you know, eat Cheetos and, and order this stuff? Or do I get up? I don't know what to do. I'm sure the indecision was, was terrible. The best tradition of Christmas is making room for Jesus. Let's look at verses 8 through 20. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. Now here's the deal. A lot of us here in the South particularly think that uh, having lots or casting lots, pulling straws, is leaving things to chance. Leaving things to gamble. Like that's what we are, that's what I was growing up with when I was growing up, when I grew up in Biloxi. You know, that's what I was told. You do those kind of things that's leaving things to chance. And yet in that scripture, it says, according to the custom of the priesthood, like this is what they did, this is what they expressed through all their Jewish literature to enter the sanctuary of the Lord, like this is how they did it. I don't believe in coincidences. 
Like I very rarely see a coincidence. Very rarely. Because I see things as all connected. And here's why. I don't believe that it, disturbances happen by chance. In fact, inevitable disturbances don't happen by chance. They happen to magnify God because he is sovereign and in control over all things and he deserves his glory. And so the things that happen to you in life, they don't happen by chance. Like, oh, that just, you know, meteor just happened. You know, they don't happen by chance in your life. They happen so that you can in turn glorify God. The miracles that you see happen so that you can glorify God. The problems and the disturbances, the trees laying in the middle of your road, they happen so that in some way you can glorify God with that. Or you could keep it a secret. But we continue on in verse 10. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people, they were praying outside. They were waiting for, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. Well, I would imagine so. There's a big angel and he looks, he looks imposing and he's got wings and he could smite you or at least burn your mouth with coal. And this is Gabriel, by the way. Well, we're going to learn that later. This is Gabriel, the angel, appearing to him. So I would be a little afraid too. So the common thing when an angel appears and you're afraid is the angel then says, do not be afraid, right? So we get Next verse. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. I doubt, since he was well along in years, that he had been praying at that specific moment for, for a child. I imagine at that specific moment, knowing that he and his wife were close to God and great God followers, I imagine he was continuing to pray for the Messiah to come. I imagine that John here, uh, that Zechariah here, was in the temple of God, in God's presence, saying, Lord, when are you going to send your Messiah, your chosen one, to save all of Israel and essentially to save the world? And yet, and yet Gabriel says... The Lord has heard your prayer. From a long ago, the Lord has heard your prayer for a kid. And you know what? The Lord has heard your prayer for a Messiah. Guess what? You have been a part of this Old Testament teaching and you've followed after God and you've been faithful to the Father and you will get to see the dawning of a new era. You will get to be a part of this new thing. Even though you think that you're aged and you don't have a kid, you will get to be a part of this. You will get to have both of these prayers answered. Not only will you see this dawning of the New Testament, you'll be a huge part of it. Verse 14, there will be joy and delight for you. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will go before him and in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. And here's the whole point of John's life. You see it in verse 17. To make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Like the purpose of your son is that he's going to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. He's going to make room for Jesus. 
And he's going to get into the lives of other people and help other people to make room for Jesus. I want to I share with you John chapter 3 verse 36 just for a little bit. A lot of us, we know John chapter 3 verse 16 is the infamous for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And, it's, and we usually recite that at vacation Bible school. It's Jesus talking to Pharisee uh, Nicodemus. And he's talking to Nicodemus. And he's saying, hey, listen, you, you need to know this. But in John chapter 3, verse 36, John says this. He says, the one who believes in the Son. This is John the Baptist who's gone out and he's prepared the way of the Lord. And he's baptized people. And he's got followers and disciples. John the Baptist says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son, or the one, another translation says, who does not obey the Son, will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. John's whole life would be centered on making room for Jesus. And it's almost like he ties together, and even Paul does this in Romans, it's almost like he's tying together the thoughts of belief and obedience. Belief and actions. You can believe something, but you truly believe it when you obey it. And we do this, don't we? We get into verse 18, all this wonderful stuff, and we see verse 18 in chapter 1. Zechariah doesn't say, oh, thank you so much, I'm so excited, I'm going to go home and tell my wife. Instead he says... Well, how can I know this? How can I know this is true? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. This isn't going to happen. Oftentimes we have an event or disturbance in our life, and then, and then, then there's disbelief on our part, or, or no action on our part. Like, we just sit there. We're like, I'm just going to let this, there's a problem in life, and I'm just going to let this blow over. Hopefully, hopefully it'll go away, and I don't have to deal with it. That's terrible. That's terrible. And here it is. Can I, can I just tell you today, can, can I just be honest for a moment and tell you today that this Christmas season, that God wants to do something amazing through you? Like God wants to do something amazing through you. I know this because of scripture. I know over and over and over again in scripture, God wants to do something through his people. We're not just mindless robots and we're not just here on this earth to just take up space and breathe air. God wants to do something through you. I mean, will you let him do something through you? The best tradition of Christmas is to make room for Jesus. Will you let Jesus do something through you? So, so if the first part is the setup and the second part is the event, the third part is the response or the interaction with people. And, and, and Luke continues, verse 21, by saying, Meanwhile, it's like in comic books. Meanwhile, like any of y'all ever watched the old Batman 1960s TV show and the Bop Band Pals? Meanwhile, in Gotham City, like meanwhile, just there's something else going on. You remember in verse 11 where it said, meanwhile, the people were outside praying? Well, that becomes important now here in verse 21 because meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. People can't but notice an encounter with God. Like people can't, like when, 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 when you have an encounter with Jesus, they can't help but notice that. 
Because they immediately saw this with Zechariah. See, here's what happened with Zechariah. I did some digging in the Talmud to try to understand what he was doing as, as, as the priest. He would take, he would take a, a shovel full of hot coals and he would enter into the sanctuary and he would walk along the, the curtain. And so it was a massive curtain, you know, separating the two areas, and he'd walk the length of it, and then he'd walk on the other side of it towards the Ark of God, or in in this particular case, where the Ark of God had been. And so he goes in between these two poles, which is is to signify the the presence of God, the Ark of God, and he puts uh, puts the coals down, he puts the incense down, and immediately everything fills up with smoke. And the whole temple area fills up with smoke. And so he starts, out of respect for God, he starts to walk away facing the presence and then he'd go and like right before he goes around the curtain he would recite a short prayer in fact the Talmud said the Jewish uh, instructions for this is that you say a short prayer so that people literally outside will not worry about you because they would think that if you spent too long in there that you were dead and so he comes out and the people We're like, well, you've been out there a long time. We recognize that you had an encounter with God. The other thing that these priests were supposed to do is as soon as they exit the temple and they're at the courtyard area and the people are are done praying and they look up at him, they're supposed to pronounce a, a, a ceremonial blessing. But that didn't happen that day because he couldn't talk. They noticed that he had an encounter with God. And people notice you having encounters with God. But let me ask you this question. You can write this one down and you can wrestle with this one a little bit. And we're going to finish up with our fourth part of the experience in a moment. What do people say about your walk with God? What do people say about your walk with God? I know just this last week, I had a relative say something about my walk with God in public on social media. Because your relatives, your friends, your coworkers, they are watching you. Your kids, your grandkids, they're watching you. And what would they say if we were to sit them down and ask them, like, hey, tell me about so-and-so. Tell me about your dad. Tell me about your grandma. Tell me about their walk with Jesus. What would they say about it? Here it is. These folks in Luke 1 had seen Zechariah's Encounter with God. Like they didn't see the exact thing, but they saw him out indifferent. Thing, something had changed. The response was different. So we get to part, part four. It's our final part. It's the result. It's a reflection for change. Luke starts it off by saying, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. The best reflection leads to transformation. The best reflection in your life leads to transformation. And so if you take an honest assessment of who you are and your emotions and your ideas and who you're with and who you're not with and your finances and where your heart is, and if you write those down, as you reflect on that experience, the thing that happened to you as God's been moving, that is a catalyst for you to change. She says in verse 25 that the Lord has done this for me. Like she was never the same after that. The Lord has done this for me. She made room for Jesus. The, the best tradition 
of Christmas is to make room for Jesus. So we have a setup, an event, a result, and response that all create an experience. And experiences don't happen by chance. They happen to magnify God. They happen so that we can magnify His name and His fame. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is this. How will you make room for Jesus today? Or or another way of putting it is how will your walk with Jesus be different today?